Good morning and welcome to Mosaic Community Church, Philadelphia. We are happy to share worship with you on this Resurrection Sunday morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Glory to God. We are so grateful to see another Resurrection or Easter Sunday. So we welcome you and we want you to enjoy the celebration of our risen Lord and Savior. And um, just feel free to comment uh, down below or to share a prayer request or a shout of praise. We are ecstatic to be with you and to see you. So join us uh, as we worship our Savior. call to worship. Please join me um, in reading this call to worship. Um, I'll read the lighter print and please respond by reading the bold print together aloud. On this glorious Easter day, we have come to celebrate the greatness of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. On this great day, we proclaim Jesus Christ is Lord. My siblings, let us rejoice. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus is Lord of all the earth. He is the King of creation. On this most holy of days, the one whom humanity had thought to destroy has risen triumphant from the tomb. My siblings, let us rejoice. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus has died and is risen. On this holy day, we celebrate our new life in the risen Christ. Through the death of Jesus, the weight of the sin that separates us has been lifted. Through his glorious resurrection, we have become the family of God. My siblings, let us rejoice. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, come. Let us praise the living God. Joyfully sing to our Savior. Let us worship Him. He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down. Every chain will break as broken hearts declare His praise. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. Every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb. The Lamb that was slain For the sins of the world His blood breaks the chains Every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb Oh, every knee will bow before Him So open up the gates, make way before the King of Kings. The God who comes to save is here to set the captives free. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power, fighting our battles. Every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains. Every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Oh, every 
can stop the Lord Almighty? Who 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 can stop the Lord? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power. Fighting our battles, every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains. Every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Oh, every knee will bow before Him. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 28. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come to in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Mm-hmm.
28, verse 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Our Resurrection Day sermon um, is not uh, a typical Easter sermon. Many of us have heard, you know, so many Easter sermons on Sunday, and I wanted to focus on a particular aspect of Jesus's death and resurrection uh, to help us grow in our understanding of our connection to Jesus's resurrection. I am so thankful to Jesus for his life, for his death, and that resurrection, and you know, I want to clearly say that I'm grateful that He is my Savior, that He is my Lord. He is our hope for today and tomorrow. He is at the center of the life of this church. And because He lives, we can stop merely existing and we can experience the fullness of life. So join me in just thanking the Lord this morning for being that and so much more to us. We bless you, Lord. We thank you. We exalt you. Be with us as we share in the sermon and give glory to your name. Thank you for hearts that you have made full, Lord, because you were good, so very good, and that we get to know you in intimate relationship. For that, for your salvation, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, I want to talk about uh, some things that I think are important, some issues, some thoughts that surround Jesus's, again, his life, his death, and his, resurrect, and his resurrection. Now, I'm not going to go uh, directly into the scriptures. I'm going to reference them. I may quote a few, but I want you to go back and read them. Uh, the great thing about video is that you can hit that rewind button and listen again and stop and go look up a scripture and come back to it. So I want to encourage you to use it that way, maybe in a, as a study aid for the things that I'm about to share with you. Um, why am I doing it this way? I could preach an entire sermon on each scripture I've selected, but there are times when we need to pull things pull things or the broader story together. Um, I feel like Resurrection Sunday is one of those times. And so this is my attempt to do just that. I hope and pray that you stay with me and that this not so traditional service or sermon still speaks to you on this beautiful day the Lord has made. So um, the aspect of the story of Jesus's resurrection that I want to focus on today is this statement. Jesus died in faith. Why is that so significant? Now, there are three responses that I want to share with you in answer to its significance. Um, think about how many people you know who want to be role models, right? Or people want you to be a good role model. And that means that they want you to live in a way that, you know, they can deem you role model appropriate, right? And um, and that's because the goal for them, the goal it really is role model, be a good example, right? We often use that kind of language uh, when we talk about Jesus, him being a good role model for us. But that wasn't his thing. That's our thing, honestly. He didn't come to earth to be a good role model for you and I. Um, no, he really was one. But that was not his goal. Jesus came to earth. The word entered time and space and put on flesh because he was concerned for you and me. Concerned for those he loved. That was the motivation. Concern for those he loved. So he emptied himself of the advantages that, and status that he had. He set aside the privileges of one who created the earth and time and space. And he became human and he stayed human. I wonder why he would leave heaven to do that. 
He emptied himself and took on the interest of others. He took on what was in humanity's and creation's best interest from Philippians, the second chapter. He was concerned for us, so he came to earth. And there he lived, or here, he lived a, self, he lived a selfless, obedient life. He lived a life of love for creation, and thus he was concerned you and I. And that concern, that love caused him to empty himself of all the status that came with being deity to become human. Why is it significant that Jesus died in faith? Because he lived in faith. That's my first response. Living as a human being made him susceptible to the conditions of human life. Chapter 2 of Philippians again tells us that Jesus was obedient even to death. Jesus was obedient to the conditions of human life. He lived within the framework of the human condition just like you and I do. Even the human condition called death. Again, he gave up special privileges and powers and was obedient and stayed within the influences of powers and joys and heartaches and spiritual forces in human life. He was obedient to these boundaries, the boundaries of humanity that we exist in. Living within the boundaries of the human condition, he lived a selfless life. He lived a life of loving concern for others. Now, how do you do this? He did all of this by faith. See, Jesus came to earth equipped with what every human being enters the earth equipped with. The power of love and faith. This belief or experience of love is a powerful force in, the, in, in, in human experience. And that this love is a, a motivating force in us. It ignites faith. To overcome whatever isn't love. We strive for that as humans. That feeling to be loved. And when we don't experience that, we strive to find that again. We've been told that faith works by love in Galatians 5 verse 6. He lived in faith and Jesus died in faith. Faith ignited via loving concern he had in the interest of others. And that interest caused him to choose to empty himself and become human like us. Please hear me. He was obedient to the human condition, even the condition of death. But he died in faith. There's something to his dying in faith that we've got to see and to talk about. Why is Jesus dying in faith so significant? Because he, uh, of his faithfully living a human life, that, that it required obedience to the boundaries of the human condition. So let me, let me just say a quick side note. You may be thinking right now about the miracles that Jesus performed and how that seems to suggest that his, he wasn't bound to the human condition. But Jesus had no special powers, no special human powers either. He constantly told the people that, uh, that it was their faith that healed them or made them whole. Jesus had access to everything you and I have access to as human beings. And so within the boundaries all those things happened. Now that was a side note. What I want to discuss, what I want to talk about right now in relation to his obedience is that in his obedience to the human condition, he was the Lamb of God. And there, that symbolism of him being a lamb in the midst of the human condition is, uh, is significant. Jesus wasn't like the lamb. The lamb that was offered a sacrifice on altars was like Jesus. And there's so much I want to say about this, but our time is short. So, so I'm just going to say these few things. So please stay with me. Here's the symbolism. The lamb was innocent. It was pure. 
And because of its innocence and its purity, it was used in sacrifice by Jewish people. The lamb wasn't attached to our sin or our separating ways. The lamb was innocent and we just got brought into our mess by virtue of being in a flock and being pure, spotless. Humans laid hands on that lamb and took it and killed it as an offering, as a sacrifice for their wrongdoing, for our wrongdoing, for our sin. The lamb represented Jesus in its innocence, in its being, not being guilty of sin, but that our mess was attributed or accounted to it. Jesus is the Lamb of God. His life of loving concern for humanity ignited a faith that caused him to act in, his, in the fullest capacity of his humanity. Thus, he gave wonderful teachings about relate, having a relationship with God and with each other, and miracles were performed. Jesus' faith was ignited. And that faith joined with someone else's. We saw these miracles of healing in people's lives. His faith ignited caused him to speak about unjust systems that separated humanity. And these things caused him to be singled out as Messiah. The things that he was teaching, the things that he was talking about, the actions that he was taking, the people who were called unclean that he was recognizing, the lowly in the earth, that he must be the Messiah who will change things. And it caused people to hope for a change in the world system as they knew it. They hated that system. But they focused on the system changing and didn't want or think about the changes that were required of them. And that caused in them a hatred to be ignited. And that hatred caused the shouts when Pontius Pilate wanted to, to free Jesus because he was an innocent and did nothing wrong. The shouts of crucify him, crucify him. And all of this demonstrating that he was indeed Messiah, the one who was to come and free them from tyranny and oppression. And it also demonstrated or showed that he was the lamb who came as the final offering for our addiction to separation, to sin that causes separation. He stayed human while confronting all of this. And he was obedient. He stayed within that frame or the boundaries of the human condition. He lived and died knowing that humanity's addiction to sin and separation would result in his death. But still, he had faith and was obedient and stayed present to the human condition. Why? Because he had faith that it would lead to humanity's victory, to our overcoming sin and what separates us, to be unified again. I don't glory in the fact that he had to suffer. We, I don't know, some, it feels like sometimes we, we, we focus so much on that in a glory, in a kind of suffering. But the truth is, suffering should not happen. When we suffer because of the cause of Christ, we, we, we give witness to the injustice in the world. We give witness to the unfairness. We give witness to the pain and sorrow that what our, the way we live in separation, wanting to be high up on the, on, on, on the status symbol, whatever, uh, uh, ranking than someone else, we show that. We show a lack of unity. So I don't glory in, in suffering. But I honor the one whose loving concern for us ignited a flame of faith that would make all things different. In life, he presented us again and again with options to make better choices. And we killed him for this. And I, I, I intentionally said we. 
I say us and we intentionally. I want to think that I would have, you know, been different from the people gathered around Jesus. But I have to get off that uh, that boat called denial, and and not just get off of it, but sink it. I have been just as addicted to acting in ways that separate us as anyone else. I can't participate in blaming the Jewish people, the Roman government, just the people generally scattered. I don't get bent out of shape at the disciples who separated themselves from Jesus by, you know, disappearing on him. I've decided to be like that guy who was hanging on the cross, who confessed his guilt. Yep, that's me. I'm a part of the we and the us who put Jesus to death because of my addiction to sin, to separation. But back again to my point. Why was dying in faith so significant? My response again is that Jesus had faith that this, that his obedience to love in the midst of the human condition would result in humanity and the rest of creation's victory. He died looking like a uh, criminal. He died people calling him a failed messiah, but he rose again looking like a servant king. You see, if the words written so many years ago or so many years after his ascension are true, they are true perpetually. They hold us all. And they give us an understanding about Jesus. In Hebrews 11.6, we find these words. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But anyone, any human who comes to God must believe that God is and that God is a rewarder of those who diligently and earnestly seek after God. So my third response, why was dying in faith important? It was important because his faith led Jesus to earnestly pursue God, and he continued that faithful pursuit of God even in death. And that pursuit of God even in death led to this. The writer of the book of Ephesians offers this very long prayer in the first chapter, and that prayer includes these words, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your understanding or your heart would be flooded with light so that you and I can understand the hope that God has called us to. Meaning that we can know and understand how rich we are because of of what we've inherited from Jesus. Now that's a little bit of my rewording to that. You'll see when you go back. But it goes on to say this, that you and I can know and understand the immeasurable and incomparable greatness of God's power in us and for us who believe, for those of us who have faith. What is the greatness of his power for those, what is, again, what is the greatness of his power for those who have faith? Greatness of his power is this, that you and I, we have inherited the same power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and now has empowered him to sit at the right hand of God in the heavenlies. We have inherited this power. Why was Jesus' living and dying in faith so significant, so important, so empowering to us? Because Jesus' reward for earnestly seeking after God in the midst of the human condition, including the condition of death, was this. His love, his concern for humanity ignited a faith in him that was so powerful, neither the death dealings of the human condition nor death itself could hold him. His loving concern for our interests, or as uh, Philippians says, the interest of another, ignited a faith so huge, so amazing, so rich, that this faith is the accent, access point of our inheritance. Ephesians 1.21, it says, Um, about his overcoming every death-dealing aspect of the human condition. It says this, 
So that now Jesus Christ is appointed head of all things, including his body, which is the church. And that through the church, the exercise of loving concern for the interests of others will continue to grow as it ignites the flaming power of faith in your heart and in my heart and in hearts around the globe. And we bring to bear the flame of faith on everything, everywhere. We make Jesus known by letting this mind that was in him be in us. We don't look out or look to be high and mighty, but we empty ourselves of our perceived privileges. Whether we perceive a privilege as a, as a believer and as a child of God, or we, be, we perceive a privilege based on our skin color or anything else, we empty ourselves and humble ourselves to be siblings who are still, who operate in selflessness. We live this life as followers of Jesus, not to be examples or to, to, to declare ourselves fit to be modeled after. No, we live our lives following Jesus and striving to have this same kind of love and concern for others that made him leave heaven so we can leave our places in the human condition of prestige and power and be like him. We live, we begin to live for the interest and benefit of others. Yes, we see after ourselves, but we live for others too. The also and. We live in faith, we live in faith that works by love, because this is how humanity was intended to live from the very beginning. Jesus points us that way through his life. But we have to choose to follow the way. We have to let our faith work by that kind of love. We have to live by faith. We have to believe that Jesus, the Messiah, lived his relationship with God. He didn't show it off for us. He lived out of loving concern for humanity. There was no fake care in him. The depth of his caring made him love hard on people by telling them the truth and praising them, by telling them the truth and hurting feelings, but trying to save lives. He lived in faith through his trial in front of the Sanhedrin. He lived in faith through the flogging of his body. He lived in faith the hours he was tortured on that cross. He lived the promise to see that man in paradise. He lived all of it by faith. And when he died, the last words in his mouth were words of love to God that continued to set a faith so strong. To you, I give my spirit. To you, I commit myself. And then he died. And then... Though he was buried on the Sabbath, before the sun rose on Sunday morning, Jesus came back from the dead with all power and all authority over the human condition in his hands. And he said, now that I have this, you and I have it too. Go. Go teach people everything I've shared with you. Go. Go receive them as disciples and baptize them in the name of the parent and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Go. Go teach them about obedience now. Your obedience is no longer to the human condition, but to every word that I've spoken to you in faith. Have faith and live those words too. And now this. I have risen. 
Jesus said, I am here. I am with you even until the end of the age. I will never leave you. I ain't going nowhere. I will not forsake you. And if you live in faith, die in faith so that we will reign with him in faith too. We have been given this beautiful, amazing, wonderful inheritance. There's so much more added to it. But this thing, this understanding that love is a motivator and that faith ignites, that it ignites faith, that we can move to change the world, not by trying to be an example to the world, but by living differently. It was the living of his life in such a dynamic way that was such in such opposition to the way things were in the systems of the world. We can do it too. That there is an experience when we do it that yes, it may cause harm. Yes, it may damage. Yes, there may be even times when some of us may die. But this promise is is what we have to hold on to. That if we believe, even in the face of death, death can't hold us. The same power that raised Jesus up from the grave will raise up you and me. And by God, we get to experience it every day of our lives. That the resurrection power of God is alive and well. And we get to show it to the world. When we have loving concern for the interests of others, Jesus died in faith and he rose again to reign in faith. You and I, the word says, should die daily in faith that with each new morning, with the mercies we receive, we walk as humble children of God, counter to the world, because we believe our faith is working by love and being alone is still not good and so we seek what Jesus sought to unify us through the blood of the everlasting covenant may you be blessed this Easter Sunday as you remember the importance the significance of Jesus' faith and the significance of yours. May God bless you. Amen. Luke ten nineteen. Behold, there was a point in my life that I got used to fear. I got used to sadness. I got used to pain. The pain of the same misdiagnosis of the lame cover up excuses, but I got strong. I knew how to build up my wall so that when they abused us and when they used us, I was safe. Until I realized that the higher you build up the walls, the longer and more painful the fall when it breaks. My first mistake. I give unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. When he was gasping for air, I held my breath. When he couldn't hold back tears, I lost it, I wept. When he wasn't guaranteed that he would wake up, I never slept. But I always regained my strength. I was prepared to fight death, because he was my rock. I could never begin to imagine a life that didn't include him, so I'll fight to the end, a promise I've always kept. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. I wished I could fix the problems of the world, move mountains, uproot trees, make it a better place to be, but I kind of needed to scale it down and start with fixing me. You see, my skills were confined to be someone else's support system. I wasn't designed to fight unless the war was for him. How does someone stand the switch from we to me, from us to I? Because I've tried and it's not the same, so I prayed. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Because my indifference to me is all that I know. It is of what I am composed. My service is the only thing that helps me grow. And he responded, Behold, 
I give unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So nothing shall by any means hurt me. Luke ten nineteen.
Revelation 21 gives us an image of God on the throne. In it, God says, Behold, I make all things new. It's a picture of God in glory right at the end of the Bible. In the beginning, we find God creating. At the end of the Bible, we find God still creating. 
It's a comfort to me in difficult times because God works for good in the bad. It's an Easter Sunday kind of verse because Jesus rose from the grave. Let's pray. Oh Lord, on this Easter Sunday, we thank you. Thank you for coming to earth. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for living again. You are the God who creates. You are the God of life. You are the God of babies and fingerprints, of giraffes and starfish, of daisies and pine cones, of high tides and the Milky Way, of cities. Heaven is a city. Quiet moments. You're the God of still, small voices. You're the God of the hopeless and homeless, wanderers, dreamers, the lost, stepdaughters and misfits, the poor in spirit, the forgotten. You are the God of coloring outside the lines. You're the God who makes resurrection out of death. You are the God who makes all things new. Please meet us here where we are and make us new. Meet us in our fear and make us new. Meet us in our discouragement and make us new. Meet us in our regret and make us new. Meet us in our denial and make us new. Meet us in our loneliness and make us new. Meet us in our pride and make us new. Meet us in our fatigue and make us new. Meet us in our complacency and make us new. Meet us in our loss and make us new. Meet us in our doubt and make us new. Meet us wherever we are, Lord, and please make us new. In Jesus' name.